There are so many types of milk out there these days, and I'm only talking today about cow's milk. I'm not talking about human milk or soy milk, and I always thought soy milk was just regular milk trying to introduce itself in Spanish. But when it comes to cow's milk, most of the cows that are being milked are pregnant, and as a result, they have high hormones like high levels of estrogens and progestins and other hormones which doesn't mean it's automatically bad, but we have to recognize that there are increased hormones in milk. And even those that are pregnant or are not pregnant, often the cows that are being milked are bred to produce high levels of IGF-1. And IGF-1 is also known as insulin-like growth factor 1, which is a very anabolic hormone, meaning it will make you bigger and stronger if you consume it. And that's why a topic like this can be kind of hard because there's a lot of people out there who buy supplements to increase IGF-1 and want that effect and others who would say, oh my gosh, I don't want that kind of anabolic hormone effect. IGF-1 stimulates almost every cell in the body to grow. It's actually the benefit of growth hormone, meaning you release growth hormone from the anterior pituitary or if you take growth hormone supplementation illegally, then IGF-1 is released from the liver and it promotes this growth effect throughout the body. I certainly have and will continue to argue it's a bad idea to supplement growth hormone or IGF-1 stimulators and there are a lot of those out there other than growth hormone. And the reason I would recommend against it is the evidence is pointing towards this stimulation of cell growth also can stimulate cancer growth and shorten life. Yet that being said, I think it's way too premature to say that the plasma increases in IGF-1 from cow's milk is a dangerous thing. I don't think it probably is, but I don't think the evidence really points one way or the other. Again, IGF-1, not a bad substance. It's good in the right amounts, bad in too much, and also bad in too little. If you don't make enough IGF-1, you can get dwarfism. If you make too much from the stimulation of growth hormone, you get acromegaly. And those who grew up during the wrestling heyday knew about Andre the Giant, a guy who truly had giantism and acromegaly. And as big as Andre was, he wasn't nearly as scary as like flies who eat growth hormone and IGF-1 because they get so big that police have to call in a really big SWAT team. And to get off of the IGF-1 topic a little bit, obviously milk has a lot of other things in it, like a lot of amino acids, fats, protein, calcium, glucose, lactose. And I don't joke about lactose intolerance because sometimes those jokes are just too cheesy. Nevertheless, lactose intolerance is a real thing for a lot of people, causing diarrhea and gas and nausea, bloating. And so for a lot of people, the answer is really obvious. Is milk good for you? Well, if you have a lactose intolerance, of course it isn't. If you have allergies to cow's milk proteins, which may be about 4% of infants, again, the answer is obvious. Those infants shouldn't be drinking it. Now, there are other conditions. Some people, asthma is set off by milk. And if milk is causing asthma exacerbations, obviously it should be avoided. I had a hiking partner with asthma, and he found every view to be breathtaking. Well, needless to say, for some people, there's immediate effects of milk that makes it obvious that they shouldn't be drinking. And I guess the harder question is, what are the long-term effects when it's not really known? 
we can postulate, you know, going back to the beginning of this, well, all these hormones are in milk, but to be fair, there's a ton of hormones in human milk too, and we would never say babies shouldn't have human milk. And just as we could wrongly predict the harms of milk, we can just as much postulate benefits that turn out not to be true. So I'm going to quote from the New England Journal of Medicine, February 13th, 2020, a review article titled Milk and Health, and it talks about bone health and fracture risk when it comes to milk. And the quote is, paradoxically, countries with the highest intakes of milk and calcium tend to have the highest rates of hip fractures. And that's the end of the quote. I don't have any hip jokes. So as I was saying, there is a correlation actually between low dairy consumption being compatible with lower rates of hip fracture. And for those of you who listen to me a lot, you know that I don't think bone strength has a lot to do with diet and much more has to do with lifting weights and making the bone strong. I guess it doesn't have to be weights, but some kind of external force where you're making muscles work, bones work, connective tissue work, it makes it all stronger. I won't rehash that. How about things like body weight or obesity? A lot of times you'll hear claims from both sides of the aisle. Milk and dairy help you lose body weight or make you fat. Well, it's been looked at, and I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'll just requote from that New England Journal article where they take on that topic, and they say, quote, Although milk has been widely promoted as beneficial for weight control in a meta-analysis of 29 randomized trials, no overall effects of milk or other dairy foods on body weight were seen. That's the end of the quote. They do go on to talk about how yogurt consumption was associated with less weight gain. I'm no expert in yogurt because I'm just not very cultured on that topic. But I do want to address one more thing with body weight, whether it's in children or adults when it comes to milk, because sometimes people say you should use a lower fat milk. And my understanding is the U.S. Department of Agriculture actually advises a reduced fat dairy product, low fat milk, to have advantages for weight control, but that has not been shown. And once again, quoting the New England Journal from 2020, they say that low-fat milk does not appear to have advantages over whole milk for weight control. And in children, available evidence suggests greater long-term weight gain with reduced-fat milk than with full-fat milk. This is a really complex topic because obviously the big issue is if you're not having a lot of dairy or milk, what are you replacing that with? Are you replacing it with fruits and vegetables or potato chips? Because obviously something like a sugary soda product is going to be worse than milk, one would think. But one never knows. I once had somebody throw a can of soda at me and you would think that would hurt but it didn't because it was a soft drink. And let's put aside weight issues completely. Let's just talk overall mortality. So there was a meta-analysis done in April 2017 in the European Journal of Epidemiology. And that meta-analysis was of 29 prospective cohort studies, and it was basically neutral, meaning it didn't show an association between dairy products and cardiovascular and all-cause mortality. 
So a lot of people have some very strong opinions that dairy is very good for you or very bad for you. And some of those opinions can be based on different sort of ethics and how cows are raised and milked. And animal welfare is a very important topic to me. It really is. I just am bummed out about a lot of the things that we do to animals. And I also get the environmental implications that we tear down forests, sometimes rainforests, to breed more cows for meat and dairy. So I think it's fair to say a lot of the arguments on health go beyond just consumption, meaning what does milk or dairy consumption do positively or negatively for you, let alone start getting into the debate of grass-fed cows, which we know have higher omega-3 fatty acids. Is that better or not? Well, again, better than what? So if you compare processed meat to getting protein from dairy, processed meat has a much higher all-cause mortality as a protein source, whereas plant sources have a lower all-cause associated mortality. So if we were to make a statement, milk is good, milk is bad, it really can't be said, I think, in such direct terms unless you're trying to compare it to other foods and other sources of protein. And of course, it matters what disease process you're talking about. So if you just even just take cancer alone and look at dairy, high consumption of dairy, it looks like it increases the risk of prostate and possibly endometrial cancer. But on the other hand, it reduces the risk of colorectal cancer. And since I am on an every three-year cycle for colonoscopies for polyps, I enjoy my morning latte. I don't know if it will prevent me from having colorectal cancer. I've tried asking my psychic, who is a very large man. He is a four-chin teller. But he's good at what he does, and he said, listen, I don't know about dairy or milk, but just don't feel responsible for the avalanche that's coming because you're just a snowflake. And that left me with a lot of uncertainty, but I think that's the entire point of this whole lecture on milk. There are so many other factors moving in the world with regard to dietary choices and other issues that's hard to make broad, sweeping claims unless you're one of those people that knows you have a significant allergy or intolerance to a dairy product. It's a very interesting topic given that cow's milk is so huge in terms of consumption across so many societies in this world. And there will be more specifics that can be said as it's studied more. And obviously this lecture was not comprehensive. I didn't want to get too into the weeds of LDL and diabetes. Rather, I just wanted to tackle some of the bigger topics within this topic. And hopefully you got something out of that. So this is Dr. Gil Parat, and I will talk with you on the next round.